All the road and go. Where am I to go, me Johnny? Where am I to go? For I'm a young and a sailor lad, and where am I to go? Hello, and welcome to Where Am I to Go podcast. Today we are in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And this is a really cool town. We drove around a little bit today. There's lots of uh, old shops, and it appears to be tons and tons and tons of history in this place. And today we're with Robert, who is going to be our, our guide through the Gangster Museum. I have a feeling that we're going to learn a little bit about gangsters, and I have a feeling we're going to learn a whole lot more about Hot Springs, Arkansas. Welcome, Robert, to Where Am I to Go podcast. Thank you. Appreciate you guys coming down. Got a beautiful day, 65 degrees, sunny. We hadn't had that this year yet. We've had it the last couple of days, though. I think we got pretty good weather until Friday. Well, and we're still early in spring. The podcast probably won't come out till late summer, so I don't want to give people the wrong idea that yeah. it's 65 degrees and this Not is a place the to escape no, the heat. We do hit 100 occasionally, but all in all, the mountains kind of insulate us a little bit, and there's enough water here, lots of water. There's enough water here to kind of keep things cool down. But it's hot water. Well, uh, there are 600 springs here. 49 of them are capped, some of the better hot water springs. And the rest of them just flow freely down into uh, Hot Springs Creek, which is below Central Avenue. And a lot of those are cold water springs. But generally, it's most, most of the springs are hot water, thermal water. Okay. And they run underneath the street where everybody's driving. Underneath it, yeah. Well, everybody's driving on top and all the water, uh, and it's year-round water. You can hear it running when you cross any of the streets that run into Central Avenue. You can hear it running constantly, even during droughts. Uh, and it's a pretty good flow of water. I mean, we've always got water here. Wow. Yeah. Okay, and they had a lot of bathhouses and that kind of stuff back in the day? They did. You know, originally it was a sacred ground for... Uh, a lot of Indian tribes, they'd, they'd travel great distances to get here. Of course, the Cherokees were just over in Oklahoma, but we had the Caddo's and the Quapaws here. And once they got here, there were open pools of hot and cold water downtown here in what is now the National Park. And they just lay down their uh, spears and their bows and arrows, and everybody got along, and it's been like that for hundreds of years. It's just always kind of remained sacred like that, all the way at least through some of the uh, tumultuous times where we'd have Bugs Moran and Capone here at the same time, but nobody got it on. <laughs> wow. <laughs> there was a lot of other things to do and have fun with. Mostly women, whiskey, and <laughs> gambling that would keep them busy. Well, the guns were, were not part of it. Okay. And so this was a hangout for all of the gangsters, and that's the reason that the Gangster Museum is here in Hot Springs? That's right. Uh, I thought about a lot of places to put it, but this was the only place that we could put it where all of them came here, but... They were never in trouble here. Other than Lucky Luciano being arrested here, we, we actually arrested him for a traffic violation. We were able to hold on to him for a couple of weeks. But uh, 
the Attorney General of New York, finally, Thomas Dewey, came down and got him because he, they realized he didn't have a vehicle here. So, uh, But his cell was open, and his girlfriend, Gay Orlova, was here with him. So uh, they took him back, took him to Florida. But this is where they spotted him walking on the federal property over there. So they were able to uh, talk governors and senators into having us pick him up. But he was fine here. He, he liked it. As you took the tour, I guess you saw Ed Atwater, who met him. Right. Uh, Ed was 95. He's passed away now. He was 95 when we shot that video in there. So. And now he was the guy that was the... the bell captain of the Arlington. Okay. Yeah. Now let's talk a little bit more about that. You mentioned that you've got the state side and the federal side. Right. And that's divided right down Central Street. Right, exactly. The okay. National Park is where the bathhouses are, even though the Arlington has its own bathhouse and the Jack Tar around the corner on Park Avenue, it's now senior living, it, it had a bath. That was the longest run Frank Costello owned the Jack Tar Hotel. And uh, the state owns the street that covers up Hot Springs Creek. The feds are over there on the east side and the state, I mean, the city owns the west side, so a lot of people have got to agree on anything that happens here. <laughs> that sounds pretty rough. <laughs> so we don't, we don't ask much and we just kind of meander through uh, life, I guess you'd call it here in Hot Springs, but Hot Springs has had some massive floods, a thousand buildings burned back in 1914, 1915. Wow. And uh, I say in my book, uh, Hot Springs from Capone to Costello, it really didn't matter matter what happened here. Uh, they just mopped up and marched on. Uh, Jesse and Frank James robbed a stage coach out just uh, west of town here. And years later, Frank James opened up a shooting arcade here and got along just fine until he himself got robbed. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Jesse was gone by then. But... Uh, Hot Springs is so fascinating. I mean, when you get through, uh, you know, the, the James Brothers and Bat Masterson and Wyatt Earp and those guys that would come here for the thermal water. Right. Charles Bassett, who was owned, the first owner of the Long Branch Saloon in Dodge City, uh, he's actually buried here. But once you get past those guys and get to the, oh, the 1920s, then start getting excited exciting because in 1931 uh, let's just compare it to Las Vegas I've spoke at the Mob Museum a couple times but in 1931 Las Vegas had 5,000 people staying there not okay. living staying there building the Boulder Dam which become the Hoover became the Hoover Dam and they had no hotels they were cabins for the workers Okay. On Lake Mead. <clears throat> in 1931, Hot Springs had 20,500 people in it, 22 high-rise hotels, gambling, although it was illegal, uh, to the tune of about 50 million back in the middle of the, that's the century. Uh, but because everybody, including the powers that, that control the state, all made money off of it, it all just worked just fine. So, you know, people ask me today, uh, 
you know, where are all these old gangsters? And uh, I said, well, of course, they're in Congress now. <laughs> <laughs> they, don't, they don't have to follow anything. They got their own laws, just like the mob did. <laughs> we won't bring up the fact that uh, Bill Clinton spent most of his youth well, here. Well, he learned from the masters, I'll tell you. <laughs> you know, you know if you, in the 20s, you know, late 20s, 25 to 30, let's say, when Capone was here with the outfit, and Moran and Vincent Drusi and all of them, he, Capone had the entire outfit staying in the Arlington, would rent the entire fourth floor. When those guys were here, they were, they had a lot of money compared to other folks who were here taking baths, and uh, and they shared it. And they big tippers, dress nice, very polite. I mean, you wouldn't find anybody in this town. I've seen a lot of written postcards from those days, and you just don't find any of them where anybody said anything bad about the mob. They were the nicest guy, and having met through this a lot of children and grandchildren, uh, let's say Ben Siegel and Capone and Meyer Lansky. They went to church on Sundays. They taught their kids how to ride bikes. They taught them how to swim. Very normal home life. It's just their business was a little stranger than most of ours. <laughs> yeah, I would say. And now you brought up the Arlington Hotel. Right. And talk a little bit about the Arlington. You'd, you'd kind of told us a little bit. My experience is, is when we, I first came into Hot Springs, I looked up and there was this massive building. Yeah. I, uh, it's not a small building. This no. thing's what? Eight stories, 10 stories uh, 11 tall. 11 stories and it's the tallest it's the the largest hotel uh, room-wise in Arkansas still today and it was it's always been the flagship hotel of Arkansas. Uh, it had one one set of owners for a long long time and we we've, we've had a new owner an ownership change about 5 or 6 years ago I guess it was. And uh, they're working on the outside, have started remodeling some of the inside. They're having to modernize it, which goes against the my grain a little bit, but uh, the Southern Building Code makes them do that, you know. Right. So, uh, but that's pretty much where everybody stayed. Now, uh, when you the say... Mob and, I mean, Elizabeth Taylor and Mickey Hilton stayed there. I mean, a lot of... That's where the movie stars... And the celebrities, the rich, the famous, and the notorious stayed at the Arlington. And you also mentioned that uh, FDR stayed there. FDR stayed there. Kennedy stayed there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Truman stayed there. Uh, Eisenhower stayed there. Uh, who else? Uh, Ronald Reagan stayed there. We got pictures of Ronald Reagan. It's amazing that all those guys find hot springs to be such a place to come to, such a magnet. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt stayed there because his best friend was a guy named John Greenway who discovered a little mineral out in Arizona called copper. Okay. And he was with Teddy Roosevelt uh, in the, the Rough Rider expeditions. And he was from Hot Springs. And... Greenway and Roosevelt, interesting thing about that, both Roosevelts were there, and FDR was there at the same time Babe Ruth, because this is the home, the birthplace of 
Major League Spring Training Baseball. And we're going to get into that as in one of your galleries here. So uh, <laughs> you had FDR, Babe Ruth, the Chicago outfit with Capone and Goosig and Frank Nitty, all sitting in the Arlington lobby, reading racing forms, smoking cigars, having a little drink in the morning, take off the edge, and nobody said anything about it. They were all kind of just businessmen in different businesses. Isn't that unbelievable? Yeah. Just fascinating. So, yeah. Well, Robert, let's yeah, take let's a look at your museum. And as we, you come into this place, he's got a nice little gift shop. You pay at the front desk, and you'll, the first thing you'll notice is a safe door that says Arkansas Bank and Trust. This is the entrance to this museum. It is such a cool way to enter. You come through a walkway, there's a fountain, and uh, you can probably hear the water trickling in the background. And we come into the Power Brokers Gallery. Now, each one of these galleries as we go through has a video that describes a lot of the different things that were happening. You've talked to people that were here when right. uh, activity was happening. And I found all of the videos very interesting. They're all very tolerable as far as length of time. They're all, what, oh, five yeah. or six minutes long is all. Right. But it covers a lot of ground in that five or six minutes. But now we're in the Power Brokers. Uh, well, I thought it was really interesting when I first started researching this story that all of this could start happening in the, in the 20s and you know, where was the law? Where was, you know, where was the normal things that keep that kind of thing from happening? Where were they? They were in on it. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we had a mayor that lasted for 20 years. Uh, gambling was illegal, but they figured out if they just split the profit with everybody above them. And back then, states had a lot more autonomy they weren't controlled by the federal government. Right. I mean, it was just what you did in your state was your business, really. Now, was the National Park over there at that the point? As long as you didn't do anything over there, you were okay. The okay. National Park, that was actually, the National Park was part of the Louisiana Purchase. Okay. was what most congressmen told Thomas Jefferson that was the worst thing he had ever done. Of course, it created Arkansas and all the way up to, you know, right. um, Minnesota. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, so Hot Springs was part of that. And this land, what they called the, re this is a reservation, not an Indian reservation. It was reserved for recreational activity by the federal government. Okay. Now, was this before? The very first one. This is the very first one. Yeah, so it, they didn't have a national park system, so it wasn't called a national park. But when they threw out the commemorative quarters about eight years ago right. for the national parks, this was number one. This was the first place the Department of Interior handed out quarters, and it said Hot Springs National Park, number right. one. But it was really named number 15, I think. But this was the first land that uh, Hunter and Dunbar and Lewis and Clark came to coming up the Mississippi from the Gulf, from New Orleans. Okay. That, and it had hot water, and that was something that, you know, he'd never seen before, really, unless they boiled it over a fire. And uh, there were signs that uh, Hernando de Soda had been here, and because he wrote, he had a 
uh, nom de plume, they call it, a writer with him on the, on the travels in search of the fountain of youth. He thought he had found it here. Okay. And they just wrote about the territories that they took to get here, and it just kind of sounded like they were describing hot springs, where hot springs is now. Right. Originally, it was called Thermopolis. That's where I live. Yeah, yeah. Thermopolis, Thermopolis Wyoming. Is, well, is that right? Yeah, that's right. That's, that's crazy, because this town was called Thermopolis. Uh, really? Back in the way back, and uh, before they changed it to Hot Springs. Okay. So it was uh, just interesting. And then, you know, the federal government got involved when so many people were coming here to get in these hot pools, and they thought it would help them. And indeed, even today, hundreds of years later, I don't think they make as big a deal as they should about the thermal water because we have people here, of course the Buckstaff bathhouse is right across the street, who come over here while their loved one or spouse, not that their spouse isn't a loved one, but uh, is over there taking a, a baths and they come every quarter. Okay. A lot of them from Texas, Louisiana, Oklahoma, these surrounding states. And they at least claim they have just gotten rid of their arthritis medicine as long as they come every quarter and take a regiment, what's called a regiment of baths. That's three days in a row. Okay. A couple of different times a day of the thermal water. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting. And it's, the water is not... It's not like volcanic out of the right. center of the earth or anything. You know, it's a molecular thing where it's coming through a small aperture and colliding these molecules together. And that's what heats it up is the okay. actual uh, elements that are involved in the water. Really? And we have a lot of cancer doctors that come here and fill up jugs. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I don't know where to go with that other than I just have to believe it because I talk to the people who get in it. Right. Uh, I mean, it feels good, no doubt about that. It's pretty relaxing. Uh, Is it real rich in minerals? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, so and all of the all of the uh, fountains around town or downtown here, they give you the mix of the uh, minerals that are in that particular stream, okay. that particular spring. So. Like the one over on Whittington Avenue is pretty heavy in manganese, and I don't know. That's the, it seems like the leading element in in that uh, legend, that key there that they show. And that's where a lot of uh, cancer doctors fill up, you know, truckloads of water okay. to take back to their clinics and stuff. Yeah. Huh. Not just from here. I mean, from all over the state. So it's it's interesting, and it's good tasting water. I mean, it's delicious. You know. Our gangster water is what we call it. Uh, okay. It's, it's mined out at Mountain Valley. And, of course, we have Mountain Valley water here. This is the birthplace of Mountain Valley water. We're going to talk a little bit about that as we get and into you're, uh, yeah, You ought to go down and visit their shop there. And Mountain Valley water, Secretariat drank, and Man of War. Oh, both of them. Drank uh, Mountain Valley water. <laughs> okay. A lot of overachievers, I think I put it in my book, <laughs> drank Mountain Valley water. Okay. And, uh, and of course... A lot of presidents took Mountain Valley water back, you know, to D.C. When they when they'd leave here, they'd take it with them, and that's how they were introduced to it. So, it Mountain Valley has a has a great history. A, a different family owns it now, but a big corporation owns it. But okay. still, it's fascinating. But the Power Brokers Galleries, these pictures in here, are all pictures from the turn of the century, and as you guys know, 
all of these buildings are still here. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> it, it's amazing. The, There's the Arlington, uh, uh, what they call it. We call it the New Arlington. Opened in 1925. And there's the article of the New York Times front page that talks about it reopening. And a lot of New Yorkers came here. And really, that they considered Hot Springs America's first resort. That's not like an ad campaign that we put together. Okay. Uh, that was done back in the turn of the century, 1900s. Uh, and I think it was the New York Times that first said it, that this was America's first resort. Because people just came here to relax and... Back in those days, there weren't any freeways. You were traveling here most of the time by train, stagecoach in the early days. And it was one way in and one way out. So it kind of became a cosmopolitan hole in the wall for uh, ne'er-do-wells. But when they were here, they were quite respectable, you know. That's interesting. Yeah. And so was there pretty good payoffs for all of your elected officials that turned a blind eye? And Oh, and, yeah. Well, uh, the governor built a multi-million dollar... Uh, home in Huntsville, Arkansas, and he made $14,000 a year from the state. <laughs> hmm. Doesn't sound anything <laughs> yeah, like the politicians of, of today, huh? So you'll, when you leave the Power Brokers Gallery, you'll come into a gentleman retired here, an English gentleman named Owen Madden, Owen Vincent Madden. He retired here, came here in 32, then he had to go back to New York for a parole violation they trumped up. But eventually they let him out after nine months again, and he came back here and he married the postmaster's daughter here and lived the rest of his life here. He owned the Cotton Club, the Stork Club, the Phoenix Brewery, uh, Phoenix Cereal Beverage Company, what they called it during Prohibition, never stopped making beer. Uh, <laughs> and you'll see uh, when we get into Capone's gallery that you could always get alcohol, even during Prohibition. You just had to have a prescription for it, similar to what Arkansas has now with marijuana. Or they have with all your prescription drugs. That, sure. Yeah. yeah. As long as the government, this is one thing I noticed about Hot Springs. I don't know that there's the model because I'm sure it's go, it was going on everywhere. But if you can figure out a way the federal government can make money off whatever you're doing, They'll figure out a way to allow it to happen. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, I mean, that's just the You just line. have to be one of the lucky guys that's in cahoots. Right. Right. Now, Madden, because he owned so many clubs and, and owned pretty much New York, he owned the political system in New York. When he got here, he became the architect of how to run this gambling where everybody was making money. The city was going to be making money. The gambling... Commissions were going to be making money, uh, run fair games. People, some of the people will make money, shoot some of it upstream. Just anything that could get in the way of commerce, uh, figure out a way like water to get around it. Okay. For instance, we had a group of churches and preachers, basically, that didn't like what was going on downtown here and we're kind of raising hell about it so to speak well his idea of how to he met had the gamblers owners gambling house owners come together in what we call a businessman league meeting and 
he thought it'd be best if you take 10% of all the profit every Saturday night and donate it to the churches as a tithe Sunday morning. That sounds reasonable. And things got quiet. And that <laughs> went on for 40 years. <laughs> so there's always a way. There's always a way. <laughs> Where there's a will, there's a way. Okay. You know, some of these other guys, they would have just tried to start roughhousing. Right. Said that, you know, there's a better way than using a gun. Use the billfold. Right. That's the way to do it. And now Owen Madden, I've never heard of him before. Most people hadn't. Uh, I'm doing a documentary on him this summer with Kevin Costner's team, Mark Gillard and Glenn Klekowski and I. And that'll probably enlighten a lot of people to this guy, but he was a big time mentor to Luciano, the Capones. The Capones were from New York. Al only went to Chicago to work for Johnny Torrio, and that's how he became famous. And he first came here because Johnny Torrio and his wife came here with little Al Capone as their steward coming with them. Okay. And he wanted to move here. Torrio wanted to retire here, which a lot of people did. And just couldn't find the right fit. And, you know, a lot of the, they didn't really want people from other areas coming in here that had some power and knew how to do things because you know, it would take away some of their power. Right. So uh, they just made it really hard for Johnny. And uh, so anyway, they went back to Chicago, no harm, no foul. And uh, they'd still visit here during the spring when races were running. We have Oaklawn Park and uh, Thoroughbred Racetrack. And, but that was Capone's introduction to Hot Springs is with the Torios. Okay. And then he just made it a pilgrimage after that. And when he took over the outfit, you know, this was a regular spring thing. At least according to Deirdre Capone, uh, his grandniece, Ralph Capone's granddaughter. Okay. Who's on the, one of our video presentations. Okay. So, and Meyer Lansky said the same thing. Uh, Meyer Lansky would come down here a lot. We had a, still have a Jewish hospital here, Levi Hospital. And back in the you know, the middle of the last century, Jewish folks couldn't have access that some of the rest of us did because they were Jewish. Right. But they could here because all, all bets from around the country were off when you came here. <laughs> that is so interesting. And uh, so they could, uh, Meyer's son, Buddy Lansky, had several palsy. He could get help over at the, and the baths helped him. So he could get help over at the Levi Hospital. And so he constantly, and of course he was close friends with Madden because of their New York connection. And so there's just a lot of reasons for those guys, the New York and Chicago people to, to come here, the mob to come here. And people didn't get all bent out of shape about it. They, you know. The, well, they treated the people here really good from one of the videos they that did. we were seeing. Sure. And like you said earlier, the money just kind of flowed. They were good tippers and, yeah, and right. spent a lot of money here. Yeah, also. I mean, it's been just a tourism tourism place for, I guess, 100 years at least. Wow. Yeah. So I figured 2023, from 1923 to 2023, before that, you know, it was horse and buggies and, uh, and Indians still roaming around. But it was even a tourist 
there was a place for them too. Right. I mean, it was just a place where hospitality was the name of the game. And kind of, I don't know, the lesson I learned from this research was if you're nice to people, generally they're nice back to you. You know, it doesn't I think matter that's, what their work is. I think that's across the board. Yeah. Like I said, we're from Wyoming. We're Butch Cassidy, and those guys mm -hmm. were everybody really liked them. You know, yeah. they had they had refuge in a lot of the ranch houses mm -hmm. and that type of stuff because they'd drop in and give the kids a fifty cent piece, which was a lot of money at oh, that yeah. time, and and uh, they would feed the outlaws, and and they had mm -hmm. refuge in a lot of places just because the way that they treated people on the way. Yeah. So it's so, a reciprocal. Thing. Right, uh, and we still do that today here. I mean, people go out of their way to help each other, and we go out of our way to help them. And so it's just a, it's just a cool place to be, really. <laughs> okay, and now in this room, you've got lots of pictures of Madden and and different people that he associated with, right. movie stars, and all of that. Oh yeah, you've got a display case here that has a little Derringer, a couple of revolvers, a semi-auto yeah. yeah. uh, gun. You've got some pictures, some documents, uh, registration right. that's, uh, cards. That's his uh, citizenship card there. Okay. Uh, he was in business with Joe Kennedy and, and Frank Costello in the House of Lords over in Scotland. So they, they uh, brought King's Ransom over here to the United States, which has been on, King's Ransom has been on the, every peace treaty signing that the United States has done. And now that's a whiskey. That's a whiskey. Right. And that bottle is, uh, I think, valued at about $7,500. It's never been opened, so it's probably, uh, I think it's probably almost 100 years old. Wow. Uh, then we've got, of course, medicinal whiskey, which is what you would buy from the government. That brewery, that distillery is still in business. Sunday morning just had a special on oh, really? CBS Sunday morning. Uh, they they distilled that out of Tennessee, and they still don't do that, but they make several whiskeys that they're filled by other and bottled by other people. Uh, and I've tasted medicinal whiskey before. It's very good. Is it? Yeah. It's it's one blind taste test over Chevitz and all you know all kinds of different whiskeys. Uh, but, but only for medicinal purposes. That's right. Which is why our grandparents, you know, when I at least mine. I'm 71. My grandfather would have what I learned now is a shot glass, and he just called it his medicine. But if you think about it, in his day and time, it was medicine. Right. You had to have a prescription for it. So, I mean, how bizarre is that? It hell, it was medicine. I, <laughs> after I learned, I thought, I thought, oh, that's not his medicine. That's just a shot of whiskey. <laughs> but now that I'm doing this, I see. It really was medicine. Yeah. You had to have a prescription for it. So anyway, it's funny, and they, that, just, that just stuck with everybody. So uh, just, just more fascinating history. You know, we had a lot of moonshining here, and uh, we'll get into that in the next gallery. Okay, well, let's head and, to that uh, gallery. Yeah. Of course, there's Mae West. She was Madden's uh, manager while he spent his time in uh, Sing Sing. Okay, now as we go between these different galleries, you walk through some tunnel This is an interesting uh, phone book here, Warren, because this came out of the Arlington. Okay. And on the side of it is Clinton Buick. Oh, really? Yeah. Yep, I see it. There's a sticker right there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, how was, was that related to... That was Bill to... Clinton's uncle. 
That was Bill Clinton's and uncle. He was one of the GIs that came back after the Second World War, got rid of McLaughlin, but then they had 12 McLaughlins. Okay. <laughs> All doing the same thing. So, so then you'll come into the, the Capone Gallery. A lot of these photos are photos from the Capone family. And, uh, you, you know, we also have a prohibition uh, exhibition right here. And with your prohibition exhibition, you've got a still, you've got a couple of uh, whiskey kegs. Right. You've got several old uh, bottles. Yeah. Now, the what? interesting thing about this Mountain Valley bottle, because Mountain Valley bottles usually read Mountain Valley as they're sitting on a dispenser. Okay. This one reads on its base. Okay. That's and how they could tell on the trains and the trucks. Mountain Valley had its own rail car system. Okay. And so they could ship this all over the country and it looked clear because of main mineral water. It looked just like water. Okay. But the only way the people who unloading it knew which bottles were whiskey is if it read Mountain Valley that way, it was moonshine, <laughs> clear. <laughs> and it, it read on a dispenser. In other words, it'd look upside down in that situation there. Right. Then it was water. And they shipped it all over the country. I think somewhere in this room there's a map that shows where their, all their rail cars went. I know it's in my book. Well, that had to have been a heck of a deal for them selling water when they weren't selling whiskey also. Yeah, well, the good, I mean, it worked both ways. It, it allowed people who were bootlegging in Chicago and New York to cut their product uh, with moonshine and stretch it. So, you know, it was just another, it was just commerce. You know, it's just, uh, as Capone once said, I'm just a businessman. I just supply a demand. Right. So, you know, that's, that's the way he looked at it. And I guess you can still look at it like that. But Over here on this wall, you've got uh, a picture of a Cadillac. That's a phone Cadillac. I had it for a couple of years uh, in the Arlington lobby. 9,850 pounds, armored, bulletproof glass. And uh, John O'Quinn had donated it to us to uh, kind of commemorate our grand opening back in 2008. Oh, really? Uh -huh. And he was a big time attorney in Texas. And so I didn't have a place to put it in the small building we were in. So the Arlington was gracious enough to take the doors off and let us drive it into the lobby. And really? it sat there. It was just magnificent. You drove it into the lobby. Yeah, it, oh, it drives. Yeah, I still have video of us driving it. And it, uh, it was a fascinating vehicle, and it it went on the auction block after J uh, John died, and I got up to some amount on it, and then somebody just upped me a hundred grand. Meekum did the auction, and the guy on the phone said, "You you want to match it or go up?" I said, no, I'm afraid if I go any higher, I'll have friends I don't need. <laughs> <laughs> Probably now I would. I would, go, I would have definitely have gone up, right. but it disappeared. And whoever bought it, they won't tell you who bought it. I was number two. Uh, 
And I just told them, I said, well, email the party, and if they ever get ready to sell it, you know, let me know. And I, I'll usually call them every other year to ask them if they've ever heard from the buyer. Right. They hadn't. So. Okay, but these, there's a lot more history to this car than just Alcohol. Oh, my God, or, yeah. That was the car Roosevelt <clears throat> rode in to declare war on Japan because they didn't have a presidential limo. The limit for a vehicle was $600. So they already had this out of Capone's inventory in uh, Because they confiscated Because they got all the Capone stuff. So they went and got that because it was armored. And you know, it's so crazy. Back then, the Secret Service and a whole lot of other people thought there was a Japanese person in every tree with a rifle right. ready to kill all of us when actually there's nothing could be further from the truth. And uh, so that was uh, the uh, FDR's limo for a minute. And, uh, but it was the car that he rode to Congress to declare war on Japan. Wow. Crazy. Yeah, totally crazy. It's an interesting picture over down there of Al and Sonny, Albert Capone, in in uh, Happy Hollow, which was an amusement park down there, uh, down from the Arlington on Fountain Street, where uh, actually Frank James Shooting Arcade was down there. It was another amusement park, and you see a lot of pictures with Al and his a lot of his friends in front of this big display. It says Saloon. Okay. And there's millions of pictures taken there in Happy Hollow. And normally, the guy that owned Happy Hollow, Mr. McLeod, would ask people to take their shoes off. And so a lot of historians say that's what started the legend that anyone from Arkansas was barefooted because oh. there were so many <laughs> postcards and pictures sent around the world of a bunch of barefooted people in hot springs. <laughs> so, anyway, nothing could be further than the truth because... Uh, the Ziegfeld Follies probably started here. Flo Ziegfeld was here at the Opera House and saw a group of ladies in a folly situation. We had opera here. Uh, it, it was just, it was just so many different cultures happening in Hot Springs at the same time because there were so many people here from around the world that had different entertainment ideas, basically. And of course, you had, you know. Kind of like millions what Vegas of dollars is worth now. of uh, you know prostitution and gambling, and so that, there's an old saying here that Hot Springs had something for the man who had everything until they invented penicillin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Now this picture on the wall is Al Capone's cell uh -huh. in... Uh... After the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, he hit out in the Eastern State Penitentiary. He got picked up for a gun violation and spent nine months there. But as you can see, he was fairly comfortable. And that's still there. You can take a tour and go to... Uh... Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Now in this picture, he's got a radio, he's got a lamp, he's got pictures on the wall, he's got a bed, yeah. a desk. Yeah. But uh, it doesn't look like a normal penitentiary. No, no, he, so. was, uh, he was okay. He, he, uh... And your guide said that he even got to take off uh, quite often and go have dinner with the warden. Right, yeah, yeah. That's a, a big ha haunted museum now in uh, eastern uh, Philadelphia. Eastern okay. State. 
penitentiary. Then as we leave this gallery, we come into... Well, one of the big attractions for these guys and everyone else was Major League Baseball spring training that started here. There were 14 teams originally. Uh, you know, the New York... And they all came here? They all came here. This is where it started. Uh, we have a baseball trail, these big signs that are out that you can put uh -huh. a phone up to and get a little history. And, of course, there's history written on those plaques around the city. There's 27 of them. And these are a hundred of the Hall of Famers who practiced here every spring. Uh, these are Hall of Famers who came from Arkansas. And, you know, it's just uh, Honus Wagner had a school here for Major League Baseball players. Okay. With a guy named Ray Doan to, to try to tell them how to spend their $5 a month that they were making uh, professionally. <laughs> and, you know, this is the 1918 uh, team that won what I'd say a World Series because, you know, there were only 14 teams. But it was Honus Wagner's team. And the. Uh, there's two fields here, basically. We had the field over by the alligator farm. Uh, alligator farm is the oldest attraction, I guess you call it an attraction, in Arkansas. It was the first attraction ever here. Okay. Arkansas alligator farm. And uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates, this is back when Pittsburgh didn't have an H. You know, originally it was just Pittsburgh ended with a G. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I did not know that. Uh, the guy I bought these glass slides from sent me a, a pen, a lapel pen, that had Pittsburgh written on it. And I called him. I said, "Are you? Did you just make? Did you make these?" He said, "No, man. Pittsburgh didn't have an H on it back then." <laughs> he said, "People wanted to be fancy, so they <laughs> start spelling it with an H." <laughs> I thought, man, how crazy is that? But anyway, that's, uh, these are the little things that, you know, fascinate me. I didn't yeah, know. they do me too. Yeah. Uh, that's that's a lot of why I uh, love that, museums. That's a picture of uh, the babe over in front of the country club. After he got through playing, he really wanted to become a filmmaker and, uh, and, and a real estate guy. And, of course, Madden knew him from New York. And so the babe spent a lot of time down here as did all of these players. And you've got a full-size mannequin. That came from uh, the old Yankee Stadium, and uh, I bought it from a collector, and there were three of those, and it's signed by Jay Dowd, who sculptured uh, all of those Babe Ruth, and we redid a field, put a few million bucks in one of the old fields where Ruth played here on Belding Street. Oh, and really? There's an eight-foot statue of the Babe over there. We just christened it uh, this year. Wow. So it's it's pretty fascinating. But these signs that are around town, you ought to just, there's one right out front. Thanks for we, we just stopped and read that yeah. one. It's talking about how the major league started coming here because they felt it would detox them and get them right. ready for, de out, detox them from alcohol. Correct. And get them ready for the baseball season. Yeah. Well, it, it did all of that, but they just get retoxed <laughs> after the games. <laughs> and so, you know, it didn't, the detox only lasted during the period of the game. 
Uh, Leo DeRocher got fired three times by Branch Rickey to, uh, because of running with the women and, uh, and drinking and just carousing, basically, uh, they called it back then. But, you know, a lot of these uh, photos are just fascinating to see these guys. Of course, we had Dizzy and Daffy Dean were from here, just up, up the road, and Brooks Robinson. So we've had our own share of pretty good baseball players. And uh, this sign was from one of the old fields. Royal and Crown so, Cola. Yeah. Scoreboard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And some of these things were just signs off of the fields, advertising signs that were hung up on the fences of the fields. Okay. Uh, it's... Uh, and now all these players would come here, 14 teams, and they yeah. would all once again get along and then be oh, yeah. adversaries as soon as they hit the field again. Yeah, it was just practice, you know what I mean? It right. Was, it was to practice games, and but they met here. Of course, the White Sox were here the year uh, of the Black Sox ordeal, and uh, some people have, of course, wondered and tried to trace the whole rigging of that game uh, at World Series back to here, but nobody ever proved anything. And journalistically, there'd be no way to do it. So, uh, but they certainly could have had the idea here. But I mean, there was hundreds and hundreds of baseball Hall of Fame baseball players here. They just the Hall of Fame it wasn't in their mind at that right, point. Right. Right. Uh, drinking, having fun, and playing baseball. And back then, I think baseball was playing. You know, that's what it was play. Okay. <laughs> and the, somewhere it, it lost it when they started making a million dollars a day. <laughs> it was no longer play. And Babe Ruth holds a world record baseball hit. Yeah. Right here in Hot Springs. Yeah, and the Cooperstown has has approved that. So, uh, six hundred feet, five hundred ninety-seven, or something like that, uh, and the ball landed in the alligator. Farm. So, uh, and that home plate actually is still there. It's in the parking lot of Weyerhaeuser. Oh, really? From the alligator on Whitt in Whittington Park. So, huh. that's where some of these photos are from, the pirates' photos. So, but this was a huge attraction to people from New York uh, who had to go to a gigantic stadium, Yankee Stadium or Ebbets Field, or you know, to watch their team play, and they could come down here and drink with them. And in the morning, go out and watch them for nothing wow. with a few people, you know, right. just a few of their friends sitting on, on bleachers uh, within 10 feet of the play. So it's just a whole different atmosphere of spring training that we have today. I've been to spring training out in Arizona when King Griffey Jr. was playing. And you do have bleachers there, but still there's a lot of press. There's a, you know, you might have a couple of reporters from the hometowns of these guys. Uh, New York Times was here most of the time in Hot Springs, but it was just a totally different atmosphere because you could mingle with the players at wow. night. Yeah, you know, it's just you know, just fascinating, really, to me. I hate to use that word a lot, but every time I talk about it, that's well, it's a whole it's a whole atmosphere that's that's fascinating. Everything about it. Yeah, you know, just. Uh... Okay, so then we come into this room. This is the outlaw gallery. And as we come in, we walk past a jail cell door with a <laughs> with an outlaw in his striped clothes. Yeah, this uh, 
these guys, the big time high caliber, Luciano and these, these guys, uh, uh, the New York, Chicago, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Kansas City, those guys didn't really appreciate these guys being here because they were, uh, they were just not the same caliber. Kind of petty criminals. Yeah, they versus, were. I mean, uh, uh, Bonnie and Clyde, I think their biggest take was $1,500 sometimes. Some of these guys were kidnapping, like Alvin Carpus kidnapped the ham brewing magnate and got 250 grand, you know. Right. So just a whole different a whole different breed of criminal. And these guys, if you study the mafia much, normally they would only kill or injure other members of some other rival family. And they had to pretty much do something to get, deserve that. Right. Whereas, you know, outlaws would shoot a guy for 50 cents if they needed 50 cents. They just didn't discriminate on <laughs> Who they were killing. Uh, matter of fact, Clyde shot a constable in Alma, Arkansas, and I don't know that he knew this, but he got 75 cents off of him. Wow. And, you know, when Bonnie and Clyde came here, they had already had a car wreck and a chase, and they thought she would, Bonnie was kind of injured and thought the baths might help them. They had just gotten run out of Joplin in a gunfight. And they left here and went to Arcadia, uh, and that was it. <laughs> that was the last last ride. But we did uh, a we did a podcast at Gibsland at yeah, the Bonnie and Clyde right. Museum, and the way he described Bonnie's health at that time was just horrible. Yeah. She was she was not doing well. No, she wasn't. I mean, I wreck pretty much took her out, but this you know, and Gibsland pretty much took them both out. But <laughs> you know, Frank Nash and Alvin Carpus. You know, Carpus planned a lot of bank robberies from here. He was Dillinger's bank robbery planner. And, of course, he was a Car Barker Carper, Carpus Barker gang, uh, the head of that, other than Ma being the head of those rough, rough boys. Uh, but, you know, you have guys in this gallery like Harvey Bailey, who was really prolific bank robber. Never killed anybody, but robbed banks for fifty to two hundred fifty thousand dollars without killing anybody. Wow! Uh, and ended up uh, after his sentence, he was finally captured, and after his sentence, going to work for the government. He married uh, the, the lady who owned the farm where all of these guys held up in southern Missouri. Uh, safe house, married her, and they just came kind of legitimate citizens, and he worked for the government, uh, helping them solve bank robberies. <laughs> wow! <laughs> you know, you know, it's it's interesting to try to follow the tracks of these guys that didn't get killed. You know, by the time we had the murder, or the not the murder, but the killing of Frank Nash in Kansas City, the Union Station massacre. They picked him up here on Central Avenue at the White Front Club, some two Oklahoma agents and an F, a BOI guy, Bureau of Investigation. Okay. They were able to not tell anybody what they were doing, get out of town with him, take him to Fort Smith, went through several roadblocks, showed their badge. You know, there wasn't any, of course, 
high-speed anything back then. Uh, and they made it all the way to Kansas City in an effort to get him back to Leavenworth, where he had escaped from. And Pretty Boy Floyd and uh, Adam Marchetti and some other guys opened fire on them at the Union Station. A BOI guy was killed and guys, two other guys from Oklahoma were killed. And it became known as the Kansas City Massacre and that's pretty interesting. There's plaques up in the train station in Kansas City okay. talking about this. Well, at the end of this, prior to that, most of what we would call the early FBI guys were accountants like Elliot Ness and they would try to get like Capone went to prison for $3,000 in back taxes because uh, nobody really testified against him. It's not, some of it was probably fear, but in Capone's, he fed 250,000 people in his soup kitchens for free in Chicago during, right. you know, so it wasn't just fear that kept Capone safe. It's just people liked him in Chicago. So, or some people did. I'm sure some people didn't. I'm sure. But uh, in uh, Frank Nash's case, Congress then formed the Federal Bureau of Investigation, and that's when the FBI was born. Okay. So they gave them arrest powers and weaponry, and that... Uh, you know, we kind of, Hoover was appointed the head of it, a young guy, Hoover. They started training them, taught them how to shoot, and the f right out of the box, he, uh, you know, started these kind of hit squads. Right. <laughs> that took Pretty Boy Floyd and Babyface Nelson out, and, and uh, you know, they really figured, and probably in their defense, they would have gotten shot if they hadn't shot them first. So right, you know, uh, uh, Dillinger was a little bit of a different story. He now you've got a Dillinger display here, right? With a that's very interesting the, piece. That's one of the three death masks still remaining. Uh, the, there's one in the Crime and Punishment Museum, and Bill Helmer, a really famous author. Uh, gave that to us, and he still has one. And the Crime and Punishment Museum in D.C. has one. Okay, now a death mask, for anybody that doesn't know, is a plaster of Paris face and, molding. They, right. they would take and, and take a wax, maybe, right, and put and, it over the face, and then they would put a plaster of Paris on the inside so that you knew exactly what they looked like. And then this, they were sent to several big cities uh, so that... Uh, they could make a molding, a mask out of it, and put it on young people who were in trouble for something. Uh huh. And let the and let them look in the mirror and say, "Here's, here's what, here's how you're going to end up. You're going to really? have one of these." So it was a it was an idea of the FBI to scare people straight. That's kind yeah. of an interesting concept. Yeah. Now this particular one, when I got this, it had an eyebrow in it. Uh, and it was, you know, obviously it was because Bill Helmer's great aunt was the pathologist there in that picture who did the autopsy on Dillinger. So 
he asked me if I wanted the eyebrow. I said, well, I'm not planning on cloning him. So right. <laughs> it was ten. It was ten thousand dollars. So that was twenty years ago. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but Dillinger was a great baseball player. Really. Uh, he he actually got moved to a prison to play on a better baseball team. Now, was he on any of the major leagues? No, or? no, no. He just, you know, came here to play baseball with some of the best baseball players in the world. And, of course, you know, he wanted to work for Madden, but Madden wouldn't have it. There was just too much heat around bank robbers. And one thing about the the mob wanted to stay as far away from the federal government as they possibly could, you know. Right. Especially after they got a little muscle with the Frank Nash massacre but uh yeah there's a lot to look at in here this was donated by the uh the family of the world famous latent print examiner who was from little rock this is a thing he put together to show what these guys would do to their fingers fingerprints to try to keep from getting nailed by the fbi and the police on fingerprints <laughs> and some of them are pretty fantastic. One fellow, I think it's Roscoe Bush, had a doctor sew his hands to his side one at a time, and when he removed them, he'd have skin from his side, but it didn't matter because they had palm prints. <laughs> well, I was going to say, once you get, once you have fingerprints that don't have fingerprints... Then you're pretty, pretty easy to find. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't have to go through any of the scroll work stuff. Yeah. They just find yeah. nothing. right. I guess it was the days before latex gloves. Huh? Oh, yeah. There wasn't any such thing as latex. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Pretty this interesting. The, I'm waiting on that tour to get out of that gallery over there. So. Right. Yeah, this, is, this whole museum is just fascinating. And the, the things that you have in here as far as your artifacts and your displays... Uh, when we go back, if we jump back to the Capone, I didn't bring up any of the uh, prescriptions that you have on the wall for oh, yeah. the alcohol. You've oh, got yeah. three different prescriptions. I'd never seen actual yeah. alcohol prescriptions. And you know, interestingly enough, doctors and pharmacists became really famous during Prohibition. I'm sure they <laughs> and were. real popular. This is kind of like the medical marijuana <laughs> exactly. people. It's exactly the same. Right. And I, I tell people, people that, that have these prescriptions. I said, well, you know, you could always get whiskey during Prohibition. They uh, said, no, I don't believe that. I said, well, come to the museum. I'll show you a prescription. I said, you know, I've got a bunch of them. And uh, yeah, it's just something I didn't know either until right. I started really researching Prohibition itself. So it's a... Uh, That's an interesting point in time, too, the Prohibition. We, we went to the it Prohibition made millionaires museum. out of a lot of people in uh, Savannah, Georgia, yeah. and, and that was a real eye-opener uh, as yeah. far as what all was going on there and who was making the money and who was, right. you know, a lot of backhand deals going on. It was all backhand deals from the federal government down. Right. You know, so, uh, you know, at least in Hot Springs, everybody knew who was making money, and they didn't really care, you know. Uh, we didn't care if the governor made money off of it because you know as long as we did right so, yeah uh there's a lot of stories written about hot springs i think i said in my book there are millions of pages of readable 
stories about hot springs on the internet. And I got approached by an uh, Associated Press guy and said, you know, how can you say that? And I said, well, Google it. <laughs> I said, yeah, I Google it. It was like 1.6 million pages. Yeah. Wow. For Hot Springs, Arkansas. So, you know, it's not, it's not that we're doing it. Right. It's just this, this has been around for so long, it's just kind of undiscovered. And when gambling closed in 67, uh, when Rockefeller closed it down. Let's talk about that. That's going to be our next gallery anyway. Yeah. And uh, you've got a slot machine in there. You've got a roulette table. You've got uh, several one-armed bandits. Yeah. And you've got one one-armed bandit in particular that was extremely interesting. Talk yeah. about that a little bit and how you acquired that. Well, when I got here, you know, we have a lot of lake homes here. Okay. And uh, like Hamilton, which is below the, the chain of three lakes, uh, and it's a 26-mile long lake, so there, it, you can build on Lake Hamilton. So there are a lot of, I mean, Clinton's had a house there, Barbara Streisand's had a house there before. I mean, oh, there's wow. a lot of mansions out there. And the uh, I had known some people who had lake houses when I was growing up, and we'd come over here, and they'd have slot machines in their house, and I just never really understood that. And when I got over here and started doing this, I thought, I've got to have, I've got to have some of these machines. And, you know, people weren't really selling them. I don't know why. But, you know, I put an ad in the paper, and people started, the Internet was around back then in 2007. So I just started putting stuff out, feelers out there that, you know, I'd be interested in purchasing some stuff from the old clubs, and man, my phone blew up, and people started offering me stuff. Really? And uh, this came from the Ohio club. This came from the Southern club. Uh, even back in the Madden Gallery, there's a, a 1964 bottle of champagne, New Year's Eve right, champagne, unopened uh -huh. from the Southern club. It says the Southern club on it. Wow. And somebody had just saved it, and uh, that was donated by a fellow named Jim Garrett. And, and not only just selling me stuff, just wanting to add to the history because nobody had talked about it. It was just gone. I mean, there's legends and stuff, but that's, you know, it, it, it just wasn't cool, you know, right, what, I, right. what I'd heard. And so when I started researching it journalistically, uh, the truth was a lot more interesting than all of the stories and the legends. Uh, but <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Yeah, because, you know, when I started interviewing FBI, former FBI guys who had been FBI here for 26 years during the, what they call the glory days here, uh, and the people who were really involved in it, like you were talking about earlier, when I started interviewing them, I go, man, this is a, this is a real thing. This, this, this isn't, these guys aren't lying about this. It's like the Cooperstown on the end of that video there, he said, you don't have to manufacture history here. This is history. Right. And uh, so that's kind of what made it exciting and sometimes gives me chill bumps to even talk about because I was just so passionate about it, I still am, about telling the history of Hot Springs. So 
hopefully the documentary will really broadcast it around the world. Uh, we sell a lot of books in Japan just because of the word Capone being on the book. Oh, really? <laughs> Good job. We're big on the Capone. And uh, the, uh, but the, to come here and experience and hear it straight from guys who lived through it, almost everyone on my videos has passed away now. Uh, but you got them before they died. I did. And he's got them on all of these videos that we watch in every yeah. gallery. He's got the, the short video, and, and these guys are talking their truth. And they stories. tell their own story. They tell mm -hmm. the story. And so I don't have to really make anything up about this place. I mean, and it's all, it's all in the New York Times or the Chicago Tribune or the Miami Herald. I mean, you can go to all these other newspapers and find out about this through archives and digging. Uh, I have a thousand FBI files, wow. uh, which you can just purchase from the FBI if it's not classified. And this history is so old that, you know, I think there was one page out of uh, Madden's period of time that uh, was not uh, public, still held in the Warren Commission. But, uh, you know, it's really believable when you hear believable people tell the story right and uh it may not be as you know titillating as hollywood would would want it but it's the real story it's the real truth of the story which is what i wanted when we started this deal out the thing is that's the real history what hollywood yeah, has that's right. to say yeah. just warps history and puts that much more confusion yeah. into it so we have a saying here when you get out of this room you're uh, these guys aren't quite the caliber of criminal as you uh, get into over here. This is what we call the New York Connection. Okay. And first walking in here, this is our newspaper still in business, Sentinel Record. Albert Anastasia, as I had one tour guide who just passed away a few weeks ago. His funeral is April 5th, Mark Frederick, Mark Palmer. He'd look at this picture when he's given a tour and go, Albert Anastasia, uh-oh. Because <laughs> <laughs> he killed 67 people. for mur He was the head of Murder, Inc. Okay. Luciano and Costello and those guys. But he wanted to move here. And he flew here to see if he could find a place and move here and, the, and made the front page of the newspaper. And, of course, the chief of police and, those guys wouldn't let him, but, uh, you know, uh, this is so crazy is that they wouldn't let him move here in the 60s, but they invited Frank Costello to come down and run the gambling. And that letter, his refusal letter, or his, his turn down was in the Arkansas Gazette. And he was real nice about it, said, I love visiting, but I'm retired. This is after he got out of the mafia, so to speak. <laughs> I love visiting here. I'll always keep coming to Hot Springs. I have interest in a hotel there, but I don't want to run anything anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and that's published in the newspaper. Yeah. In so, the it's like, so it's like newspaper. this is the most openly kept secret there ever was. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Wow. The, uh, this to me is a pretty interesting piece here because this is Luciano's arrest uh, document. And above it is a fellow named Milton Atwater, who was arrested for killing a fellow. A black black guy was arrested for killing 
some other black guys, I think, who were trying to beat him up or trying to kill him. But his son is Ed Atwater, who's on this video presentation, who became oh. the bell captain of the Arlington. Okay, okay. So Ed was a little kid working at the Arlington when Luciano was there, and that's how he was able to meet and interact with Luciano. And Luciano came here every year, so he'd always look for Ed, big <laughs> tipper. And he met him by knowing his father in the county jail here, so. Wow. And a guy from the Netherlands sent me this picture. That is his actual arrest picture. It's dated down there, uh, 4-1-36, April Fool's Day. Wow. It's crazy, isn't it? It is. <laughs> and of course, Siegel and Lansky and uh, Dutch Schultz, Costello, all these guys came here. Mickey Cohen wrote about it in his book. Uh, he loved the spaghetti in the Arlington dining room, and uh, most a lot of these guys wrote their own biographies and autobiographies. So they would write about hot springs, but nobody really ever just picked up on it. You know, it was such a small place, right? That, and they didn't really talk about it that much because they didn't want everybody flocking down here. Uh, it was just kind of their own little private playground. The resort. Yeah. It's just their own little private resort. It's like we have resorts today that we'd like to go to. Right. So And now a lot of these pictures that you have, you have a picture of, of your uh, gangster or mobster or, or whoever. Yeah. And then you have newspaper articles talking about their arrest or their death or their uh -huh. birth or or whatever it happens to be. And so this is really interactive from the seeing the picture and being able to read the actual news articles like what you were talking about with this being a very well-documented Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Place. Uh, a lot of newspaper men were here, and they were great. Back, the, back then, there wasn't much opinion in newspapers. There wasn't a lot of editorial. It was factual. A little bit different than today. Yeah, today, yeah. It would. <laughs> Everything's opinion today. Yeah, and then when exactly. you're through hearing their opinion, then you get to hear the opinion of the other five that are sitting on the panel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's just, I, you know, I, I'll tell people, I said, well, it's kind of always been like that, I guess. You know, 12 people heard one guy, Jesus Christ, and they all had a different opinion about what exactly he said. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, maybe maybe it's always been like that. We just didn't know it. I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, this is, a, this is good history here because it's all about the Arlington really in here. And, of course, uh, you know, Frank Costello is another one that made the front of Time magazine along with Capone. Uh, they just uh, looked like corporate geniuses, and they'd always, when they looked like that, and they, Madden would tell them not to get out in the open like that because somebody's going to start looking into your business, and they did, and they'd get them for the income tax evasion. If you make that much money, where's your taxes? Right. You know? So, uh, and it wasn't so much, again, that people were scared to testify against them, it's just they liked them. <laughs> you know, nobody here would have ever testified against them because they didn't do anything. Right. You know, they were just regular people. Now, now the thing that's really cool about this room, uh, were you going to talk about this right here first? Yeah. No, that's okay. We can talk about this. Go ahead. We, and go can't, we can't really tell folks 
how you get out of this room. <laughs> That's what I was I was just going to say. You come into this room and you've got four walls, you've got a little hallway coming in and you're going, "Okay, so th is this the end of the tour?" and we turn around and walk all the way back yeah. out. But anyway, these machines Madden's idea, back to Oni Madden, was that the city had to make money off of this if it was going to keep working properly. So, uh, the city came up with an amusement tax. So this is actually in a license to operate an illegal business. Oh. And large casinos paid a, a little heavier tariff, small casinos, and it was just a city tax. And these are 200 of the people that paid it, but these aren't the big clubs like the Southern and Belvedere and the White, uh, the Tower Club, the White Front. Those aren't on this list. So no okay. one, heaven knows what they paid because they were the, some of the 10 most popular places, casinos. But as, as long as everybody paid that, then you never had a water leak in front of your door where they had to dig up the sidewalk. <laughs> <laughs> your, your gas didn't have a main break somewhere, so you didn't have any heat. Right. So everything worked fine as long as you paid your tax. There, there it is again. Everybody's making their little, right. their little share. As long as everybody makes a little, just keep it going. But okay. this, uh, this picture here was taken. This is an actual FBI picture. This, this is <laughs> Belvedere during the illegal gambling. This is Belvedere Casino. It was a big, huge place. I owned Belvedere Country Club at one time. And as you see, everybody is enjoying the the casino. They had a great restaurant. Uh, the chandelier, that chandelier came out of the uh, foyer. Oh, so okay. it was an elegant place. And one thing about the difference back then is people dressed really nice. Always. I mean, it was a, you know, you didn't have to have an occasion to wear a tuxedo. Right. It was just uh, everybody dressed nice. I, I, I've often laughed at that. You get an old popular mechanics magazine from the 1950s, 1940s, and you see a guy standing at a lathe wearing a necktie. Yeah. And you're going, how much more dangerous can you get than dressing up yeah, in a necktie to go to, to, go to, to, go to work right. in, oh, a, yeah. in a machine shop? Now, when, when gambling closed here, and that's what this presentation is about here, Winthrop Rockefeller was elected governor. Okay, now how he does he tie into Rockefellers? He was the youngest son. Of? Of John D. Rockefeller. John D., okay, okay. Uh, Nelson Rockefeller was his older brother. David Rockefeller was his brother. Okay. And John D. Jr. was his brother. He didn't need the money. Right. <laughs> Obviously, he opened, he moved to Arkansas, opened up Pettigean Mountain, there's a big car museum up there now. He's he's gone, of course. His okay. great grandson's still in Arkansas, and all really good people. Uh, so he had promised some folks, mostly Nelson Rockefeller, who was running for president in 1967, okay. 68. And Nelson needed Las Vegas. He needed their money and he needed their help. Uh, he ended up after uh, Hot Springs, after Winthrop closed down gambling here, they never arrested anybody and, you know, destroyed a few machines, just make a public thing out of it. But 
Nelson lost the primary. So okay. he really did it for nothing. Uh, but uh, he satisfied his, his promise to uh, the folks that really wanted Hot Springs to kind of stop doing this. And some of the children of the club owners told me that really they were about ready. It had been going for a long time, you know. Right. And things were, uh, Bobby Kennedy, Attorney General, had passed the Telecommunications Act, which prohibited wiring the wire service and okay. bookies and betting and all of this stuff. So it became a bigger against the law than just state now. So these guys packed up and went to Istanbul, Turkey, and bought a palace and opened up Casino de Istanbul, and it operated till 1975. Oh, really? <laughs> it's still there, but it's under Turkish rule now. Okay. <laughs> so they weren't quite done with it. They flew a Constellation prop airliner from here with 60 people on it over to Istanbul, and they had another one sitting here ready, and every 60 days they'd rotate shifts, and it was all of our best dealers, the ones that didn't go to Vegas, and our pit bosses, and... That went on till 75. One of the investors was a Greek, and Greece and Turkey got into a spat, and they were afraid that Greece would, I mean, Turkey would nationalize their money. In other words, take all their money. Right. So they would regularly fly every other month, they would fly uh, barrels of hundreds, thousands of dollars on the plane <laughs> with the crews and bring it back, and by 1975, they were able to actually wire a lot of their money that week to Holiday Casino in Las Vegas. So, you know, they basically just said, okay, well, we're done here, but we'll try this over here in Turkey for a while. Right. And that was 67 to 75, though. That's a pretty good run, you know, eight years of it. And uh, then it just kind of came to a halt, but the money according to the head of this state police, they never took any money. So there were millions of dollars in these counting rooms that was the owners of the club's money in 1967. So, you know, still around. Wow. <laughs> it's wow. not buried. <laughs> huh. You can see it all around you. <laughs> right, yeah. Yep. And then here you have... A craps table. You've got a roulette table. Yeah. And uh, yeah, this is a great wheel here. Uh, this is a forty-inch wheel, and uh, they don't. They stopped making them in the late thirties, early forties. Of course, they. I don't know how they would last forever. This one, of course, is that old, and it's, it's still in perfect shape. We have casino nights here where they play play money and and uh, have the best time you can. Uh, Think of it's still set up so you can so you can play it when you come in here. <clears throat> I don't know about play it. You can you can run the table. Yeah, yeah. We have the Civitans Club comes in here. There, some of them uh, grew up dealing cards, and so they uh, they run the, the gaming tables, and it's all for you know a charity or something. Uh, they don't we don't play with real money. I leave that to Oakland. We do have a real full blown casino here. Okay. That you guys need to visit. Right okay. Down Central Avenue here, and uh, but it is uh, it's just a lot of fun for people. And uh, Civitans are good about teaching people how to play these games because they've got these same tables out at Oakland now. 
Okay. So, uh, you know, it's, I, I probably could hold a gambling school here of teaching normal people how to gamble. Right. Uh, but, uh, and uh, to hear them talk about it, there are ways, there are better ways to make a living for sure. <laughs> but there's also a good and a not so good way to wager on these machines and these tables. So huh. uh, anyway, we've got a blackjack table, a craps table, and a roulette wheel in here. And, and you've got a one-armed bandit you can pull the bandits, handle on. Chuck-a-luck, which was Hoyle said was the absolute worst form of gambling. They would take this dice cage. Okay, we've got a cage that looks like an hourglass. It's probably two a dice. foot and a half tall. And yeah, it's got two dice. And you spin it, and you would put your money down on one through six. And if you were lucky enough to hit one of those numbers, you would uh, double your money. Uh, if not, of course, they'd just take it off the table. And Hoyle said that the... Uh, Chuckaluck is what this was called. Said this was the worst wager you could ever get involved with because <laughs> the house always wins. So, <laughs> of course, my experience in Las Vegas is the house always wins say, anyway. I was going to say the house always wins. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a, uh, and this, of course, this display here is just great stuff donated to us. Uh, bow ties that some of the waitresses used to wear you know a lot of the waitresses in the southern would kind of dress like playmates and right they wear bow ties and uh and in chips from a lot of the casinos here which you know are valuable because they were considered illegal right illegal casinos but uh Oh, just bingo cards. Bingo was a big deal here. Almost every place had bingo, kind of like we have uh, Kino now in oh, okay. the big casinos. Back then it was just uh, bingo. So when you leave here, you know, you'll go into our theater, which will take you under the street of Central Avenue where there are a lot of things to be discovered. And we were lucky enough and fortunate enough uh, 15 years ago to discover some of those things. So we won't go into exactly what that was, but it it really augments the entire tour because a lot of people hear about tunnels here. And it's not so much that it's a tunnel as much as it's a creek that had to be covered up because the, the buildings were washing into the creek. Oh. The wooden sidewalks and, okay. you know, back in the Western days. Uh, so they, once they started paving they had to pave over it kind of wall to wall to just keep it from eroding and the business has fallen off in it so uh you can drive a mack truck underneath central avenue and it's fact, that when big they, it's, it's huge it's probably no, in, your, 30, in your video in front of the museum here it's probably 30 feet to the ceiling underneath wow okay uh, the, it uh, didn't look that big when you were walking through no, it. No, that was video. right up there at the front by Whittington Park. Okay. And all of the flooring is the concrete flooring is gone. Okay. So they had that built up. Now it's all eaten like the Grand Canyon. It just okay. keeps getting deeper. <laughs> it keeps wow. getting lower because there's water flowing through it constantly, and it goes all the way to Lake Hamilton. So it's about seven and a half miles of creek. 
That's amazing. And you know, it'll come above ground. It, it doesn't come above ground, but it's exposed on, off of Belding Street. You can see it. There's a, what we call a greenway that the city has built there, which are nice dog parks and and you know nice sidewalks that run beside it. And if you want to get down in it, you can. And uh, it's just a for people who've never experienced real nature like that. There's about you know four or five miles of running, babbling brooks uh, wow. year round. Wow! You know, it doesn't matter how much drought there is because it's coming out of the ground up here. Right. So and out of these two three little mountains that surround the the valley. This originally was called Valley Street. So okay. Uh, anyway, we hope uh, people from uh, your listeners will. Uh, get a chance to come down and visit hot springs a lot of hospitality and uh, it's, it's a, kick a in lot place. of things to do there's a lot of things riding, riding fishing skiing uh, water skiing that is I was going to say I didn't see any snow no there's no snow <laughs> it's water skiing uh, what are your winters like are your winters pretty mild wasn't bad this year we had a few below freezing days but it's I would call it we're zone 7 if you're a master okay. gardener so okay. you know we're not quite into the eights, Louisiana and southern Arkansas is, but uh, it's pretty middle of the road. You know, it was, what, 39 this morning when I woke up, and it's 70 now. So, right, right. Really uh, nice. It's typical spring uh, here. Uh, we, I don't know that we even got snow this year uh, in the winter. We may have had a l little bit of frost. We may have gotten some snow. Some parts of Arkansas did, I'm sure, but... Uh, hot springs because of the hot water, you know, it doesn't stay long, at least on the on the street, right. because you know there's so much thermal energy uh, below the street. But uh, everybody needs to come down and experience the Arlington, uh, the vapors, which you see me doing a video in here. It's back open as okay. an event center, so you can go in there wow. and look at the stage where Tony Bennett first rehearsed San Francisco, according to Tony Bennett. <laughs> it's still there. Wow. And uh, I've sang on this stage myself several times. And uh, it's just hard to explain unless people see it. This because everybody sees something a little bit different here. Right. Uh, it's the crystal capital of the world. That interests a lot of people. We have two or three big crystal mines here. And <clears throat> I guess just... Uh, for your listeners, we appreciate you guys coming through, and um, glad we hope we get to entertain you again someday. Oh, you will. I, I think this is a place we're going to come back to. We're kind of headed home on this leg of the trip. Most so people do, even the it's, mob. It's you know, once they came here, it was it was a cool enough place that they wanted to come back. So, uh, yes. So I appreciate you taking well, your thank time you, today, Warren. Robert. Appreciate this has you been. Guys. This has been such an uh, honor and, and such a cool place to visit. Uh, the area, the museum, talking with you has all been great. And I always finish out my podcast by saying the world is full of wonder. It is. This place is a wondrous place. People need to get here, need to come out and explore. And everybody have an absolutely wonder-filled day. Amen. All the road and go, where am I to go? Meet Johnny, where am I to go? For I'm a young and a sailor lad, and where am I to go?